This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 127 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have two seasoned riders, people that know horses. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my trusty producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Greetings, Debbie. How you doing? Good, horse girl. How are you? I'm doing great. And as we record this episode, enjoying another sunny, beautiful day in the horse capital of the world of California, just to rub it in a little. Yeah, I think you might be for a few states out there. It's really cold. Even in California, it's pretty cold for us. Yeah, it's chi- it feels chilly today. I have a sweater on because it's 67 degrees. Shush up. <laughs> That's really mean. That's mean. But you used to, did you live in Pennsylvania too? I know you guys lived in Massachusetts. I grew up in the mid, in mid-Atlantic. I grew up in Pennsylvania and spent my entire life in the mid-Atlantic states or in New England before we got smart and came down here to Florida. You're so smart. Yes, you are. You you deserve it then. You yes, we do. It. <laughs> I shall not lie. <laughs> exactly. You've earned it. Yeah, girl. So awesome. if you're 35, you know, hang That's in right. there. <laughs> Stay with your horses. You'll get there. Hang out with your horses. <laughs> hey, I wanted to talk a little bit today with you too before we get into our, our guests here about uh, a, a very underserved statistic you gave me, a very underserved population of, of horse people. That's Tell me about right. it. Well, the highest percentage demographically of people who own and participate and ride their horses is women between the ages of 50 and 65 or thereabouts, 45 mm-hmm. to 55, that, that demographic, generally speaking. But if you look at the industry, where its marketing efforts go, how horsemanship is portrayed, in print advertising and video advertising, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You'll find that the industry tends to market to the 20-something mm. or the 30-something or the competitor, someone who is winning ribbons or mm, trying to win ribbons and stuff. Mm-hmm. But statistically, and I got this from uh, the lady from the HTCAA, Horse Trails and Camping Across America. That lady oh, okay. is a wealth okay. of information when it comes to t- statistics. That we're, we're not, as an industry, we're not marketing to those people. And they and oftentimes you hear the excuse of, well, quote, they don't spend any money. Well, I get to spend a lot of time with oh. those ladies now because I live in Ocala. And a very high percentage of people here trail ride either as a leisure activity or competitively. They spend money. There's a lot of $75,000 horse yeah. trailers floating around down here with ladies who trail ride in them. Yeah, and I think it's because the industry just hasn't gotten a handle on what they want to spend their money on versus that they don't spend money. And it's it's very interesting. And the our first our guest today, Cheryl Childs, who runs Seasoned Rider, she recognized that early on because that publication has been around for a while mm-hmm. and yeah. she she very wisely recognized early on that that demographic of the 
female who has gotten her career under control, not necessarily retired, but has gotten her career under control and she's perfectly secure with it, has mm-hmm. um, booted the children out of the house right. and told the husband, go have your midlife crisis on your own. <laughs> she did not say this. <laughs> yes. She, she, um, she didn't say that I did, but she recognized those that, that, that part of the, the equestrian demographic needed to be served and was looking for a way to find out about what's going on in the horse community, learn more about the horse community, improve her own horsemanship, et cetera. And she latched onto that. So she's way ahead of the rest of the horse community, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, I, I didn't know that about the marketing angle. It totally makes sense when I see, you know, an o- open a magazine these days. But I also like what she said about she found a need and filled it about confidence in writers. And mm-hmm. so by far, the vast majority of recreational writers are women, for sure. And uh, and of them, there's a lot of them that have lost their mojo out there. So we talk a little bit about that, too. We've recorded this already. And I love she gave us a couple of tips about how she builds their confidence. And I, I think people will love listening in on, on that too, because you hear about these confidence clinics or, you know, uh, scaredy writers things and everything, but I, I don't hear much about the tips and I haven't taken them. So uh, I want to hear, you know, what, what are they thinking when they think, how do we start breaking this down? And, you know, do we put oxygen masks on them to begin with? What do we do <laughs> to bring, bring these pulse rates down, you know? But uh, no, she had some really good insights. I thought yeah. it was really good. It was, it's a, it. it was a fascinating conversation. And our other guest today, Dr. Juliet Getty, is going to mm. be talking about forage, another topic I'm passionate about. So I will be oh, careful not to get this. on my soapbox. But yeah. I think it plays into our, our theme for the day, because one of the things that this large number of equestrians is big on is they're constantly trying to learn more, not just about the riding versus because the Mm -hmm. competitor of demographic tends to be very, very focused on riding and training. Mm -hmm. Whereas the pleasure, leisure, recreation, I I like to use recreational equestrian, Mm -hmm. lots of women tend Mm -hmm. to be more focused on learning about horsemanship, as a whole, which includes the nutrition portion of right. the equation. And Dr. Getty has some really fascinating stuff to talk about in that topic. Yeah, she really digs into it, too. I mean, a lot of us kind of surfacely think, oh, uh, do we need to just, how do we do slow feeding and, and things like, like that? Hey, you're we, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, she solved some of these problems. She really did. She was, and she was kind of challenging too. I mean, she, she recognizes their uh, limitations on schedules and things like that too, but she also is, uh, so she has some good ideas for that, but she's also very challenging on, on why it's so important too. And I think it'll like some of it just kind of like, Ugh, you're gutted and some of it you think, Oh, I can do that. So yeah. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. We're yep. going to get right get to it. it? Who's up first today, anyway? Oh, we got Cheryl first. Cheryl Child is going to be up first, and we're going to yes. chat with her right after this from our title sponsor, Omega Fields. Hi, Joe Camp here to share about Omega Fields. Omega Fields exists to help you keep your first promise to the horses you love, to care for them well. Nutrition is the foundation of a healthy life and supports all the activity that brings you and your horse so much joy. Omega-3s from flax are the cornerstone of that foundation. 
So, coupled with the finest ingredients and their proprietary pure glean flax stabilization process, they created Omega Horseshine, Omega Horseshine Complete, Omega Nibblers, Low Sugar and Starch, Omega Antioxidant, and Proventum Probiotic Soft Treats. Thousands of horses are experiencing a vibrant life with the help of Omega Fields products, including all of ours, a part of helping you keep your promise to your friends. Nutrition for a healthy life isn't just their slogan. It's their purpose. Cheryl Childs has 40-plus years of horse experience and nearly 30-plus years experience in instructing and training. A fourth-generation horsewoman, her grandfather trained and raced standard-bred harness horses. Cheryl's been giving confidence-building clinics since 2007 and cross-training clinics since 2010. She's shown Arabian horses and judged numerous all-breed horse shows. A freelance equine rider since 1989, her work has been published in California Horse Review, Western Horsemen, Horse and Horseman Magazines, Cheryl won a journalism award from FOSH, that's Friends of Sound Horses, for an article that she wrote about the Big Lick Tennessee Walking Horse. In 2012, she launched Seasoned Rider Magazine, believing that there was a need for a magazine aimed specifically at the over 40 rider. Little did she know. Well, welcome, Cheryl Childs. I'm excited to have you on and learn more about your magazine, Seasoned Rider. But first, I'd like to know a little bit more about your horsey background. We always like to know people's horse experience here on this show. How are you? Okay, I'm fine, and, and thank you for having me on your show. I did. Well, what, what what would you like to know? My horsey background is I've been a horse person all my life. I, I know. It's a long story. I know. I love it. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Well, well, like I always say, it, it's in my DNA. So it, it goes, yeah, it, goes, it, it goes back. You're a third yeah. generation? At least, well, I mean, before third three generations, I think everybody was a horse person a little bit. But, yeah, but, yeah. My actually. My my grandfather who trained and raced harness horses, standard breads, and raced and oh, he raced mostly in the Midwest, but he also took trips to California and Florida to race, and that was back in back long before I was around. <laughs> but yeah. uh, and his his parents actually they ran a uh, a freight line where they would <laughs> had teams of horses and would take them to the train train depot in a little town called Mineral Point in Wisconsin and. And they would deliver the freight off the train. So we always assume that's where he got his love of horses from. So, mm-hmm. so do you think you were born, you, not only born into it because they had them, but do you think you have the DNA bug? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I probably would say that. <laughs> the, first, <laughs> the first things I ever remembered saying was, when I was a kid was I wanted a horse. And mm-hmm. as, as people always joke and say why the other kids were mo- pretending that they're bikes or motorcycles i was pretending mine was a horse so it goes back a long way so. yeah that's awesome that's awesome for our industry i'm so glad that we have some people that have stayed stayed with it and uh, and yeah. actually formed and shaped a lot of the industry you have cheryl and i i love that you've you've been in different disciplines and shown different types but you've also judged yeah, yeah, I do. I do a little of that. And, and my favorite thing, actually, when I'm not working with my own horses is working with usually women over 40 and 50 and what I call uh, my uh, confidence building clinics that they come to me and have fallen off or gotten maybe their, their old reliable horse has passed away and they're not connecting with the new horse and they've lost their confidence. And 
we go through like three or four phases to get their confidence back. So that's kind of my, my favorite thing to do. And I'm not working with my own horses is helping, helping women, women get back their confidence so they can go back to enjoying their horses. Yeah. Is that because we, we just become more mortal as we get older that we lose our confidence? It's not just because we get hurt, right? We also lose a little mojo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, and that's kind of why Season Rider came to be, was I, of all the clinics I've done since 2007, I probably had maybe three or four women out of a whole lot of women that were um, in their 30s, but most of them were 40s plus, Mm -hmm. and a lot of them were 50 plus, so... And I really, I think, yeah, you kind of start thinking, oh, I could really fall off and hurt myself now. <laughs> and and that, that gets in your head and it can, it can really mess up your enjoyment with your horse. So. Yeah. Yeah. So can you share with us like some of the, the major tips that really seem to, you know, light bulbs go off when you say things? Well, it, it really, it kind of depends on what the, I mean, what the person's experience is. It's really kind of taking them back to, okay, we're just going to do these ground exercises and you're going to be a confident leader. And that's the first thing we do. And they kind of go, wow, yeah, he followed me and he trusted me in things. And then actually the next thing we do that you know about is the join up uh, exercise that, that your dad does. And that really seems to people go, oh my gosh, yeah, I, I am more confident. And then by the time we get to the saddling, saddling up the horse and getting on them, it's like, well, I really do feel more confident by doing those two things. And I mean, I've had a few women cry when they got on the horse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's emotional. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it, it's always, I mean, for women, I think it's, it really is emotional. It's, you know, you've lost your friend, you've lost your enjoyment. You can't go out with the other girls and have fun anymore because you're so nervous. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my God, it's just a big, you know, you can just kind of see their faces, the relief that they have in their faces when they, yeah, and, they realize and do, that, that they've got it back. So. They got their mojo back. Yeah. And, and do, yeah. do they realize that it's partially because they have a relationship now, a deeper relationship with that horse because they did the groundwork? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think basically kind of in a way is it's like you take them back to square one on, so to speak, on some levels and they reconnect with that horse and the horse is looking at them and going, yeah, okay, you're confident now. I, I think I can trust you. We, 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 we can, we can do this now. You were, you were nervous and, and fretful and frightened before. And, and that made me the same thing. And, but now you, yeah, you seem like you're, you got it together now <laughs> and so you can actually true. see the horses reconnect with them and the yeah. horses will get kind of the same expression. Like, Oh, wow. There she is. I haven't seen yeah. her in, you know, <laughs> so long since, you know, that incident at the, at the trail ride or something. The thing I don't want to think about anymore. <laughs> yeah. And neither one of them want to talk about it, but, and we talk to them a lot about, you know, we, we've all been there. I always say that to them. I've, I've been there. I've been, you know, falling off or had the horse make a complete and total ass of me, you know, going into the show ring. And, oh, yeah. And I look good. like a complete, I look, I think, oh, my God, I look like an amateur. And over the, all those years of horses and things, I always say, there's always been times in my life that I, you know, I've been there. We've all been there. And that seems to make a big difference. 
for them to to know that they're not they're not the only people that are experiencing that problem. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you you did have an article. I started looking through the seasoned writer magazine mm-hmm. online. It's so great that you have it online now. But yeah. uh, I saw a great article on the Dooley Halter too. I have to put a yeah. shameless question in here about the Dooley Halter too. <laughs> okay. It was really great. I mean, it was it was so honest. I, I love that you it was like um, yeah, it was a an epiphany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 uh, I always I mean I've had two or three people actually get online and buy them on their phone when they've come to my clinic. So yeah, it does solve some problems. Yeah. You used it for a, a loading. I know in the article it was really touted mm-hmm. for being used for yeah. loading. So anyway, I was just so glad to hear that you didn't hang it on your tracking wall as if it was like oh, a trophy. No. Some people no. do and they're no. like, well, you know, I want to keep it clean and, uh, you know, I'm not sure how yeah, to use no. it. So it's hanging in my no. tack room like it works in there, but no. No, no, I always, I haven't used it for probably a couple of years since I've had a horse that needed it, but, but I always use it. And, and the, I mean, for I try to put stuff in season rider that really is going to educate, you know, people in particular people over 40 and 50, you know, cause I always say it's a, you know, horses as life is a, is a process, not a means to an end. And I think at some point, even, you know, when you're 50 years old, you're still kind of out there looking for, for answers. And I try to try to make season writer the place that they can, can find, yeah. find answers to, to their questions. So is so. that what it is? Is that why you launched? So in 2012, you had launched season writer magazine. What, what was the biggest aim? I, I know that you knew that there was a demographic out there. There were people over 40 writing, yeah. but really yeah. what was the, what's your mission statement? Well, it's just really to to provide a place. I mean, there are great publications out there that I've read through the years and things, but I kind of started as I matured, I kind of looked at them. I thought, oh, you're kind of really aimed at 25 to 30-year-olds. And because of the clinics I was doing and stuff, I realized as you get older and and you mature and things, you've got different you know, issues, different experiences, different, different questions. And I thought, well, we really need something that addresses that I'm not 20 years old and barrel racing anymore. Maybe I'm, you know, 57 and, and, and starting to do dressage or, or, you know, I want, I'm 62 and I'm going to ride my first endurance ride or something. So that it was more stuff that people of that age were looking for, you know, different information than I think some of the other publications had. And it kind of, I think the seasoned writer also, and I think I found this just being around my friends that are, are, our seasoned writers, we have kind of a, kind of a community in a sense of, you know, well, you know, we, we look at things differently than a 20 year old does. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the, the aim and the mission of the magazine someplace where people could, you know, go and find find what they needed or or you know get you know find you know uh, something that was different than they would find in in another magazine so mm-hmm. yeah great kind of- well it it does and and obviously it, it's been successful I mean you touched a chord tell us about the the sort of what it's happened since 2012 well we've we've I mean we we've grown to the point where we have actually put on a a couple, what we call seasoned rider challenges, 
where it's a competition. It's a three-phase competition that, that people seem to enjoy. We haven't done any for the last two years, but we're going to resurrect that this year. And we've had a lot of little um, clubs. They, I think in 2012 to 2013, people started kind of forming little clubs all over the country. And now we're going to kind of make it the seasoned rider association. So everybody's under one umbrella Mm -hmm. so that we can provide them with even more services with that. So, and that's a Facebook page. I saw that it's a pretty active Facebook page that you've got going on there. Oh yeah. That's, that's that. And and I like that because it's fun because I get to connect with, you know, somebody in New Zealand or Australia or North Carolina or, and we all seem to have something in common. Yeah. If you ask them to post a picture of their, their first horse, you know, I really enjoy seeing all the pictures of all the horses, you know, oh, I was a kid and, and it, it really gives them a sense of, of community and it, and it's grown every year. So, uh, yeah. Um, so tell us about this competition. Tell us about what, how you all get together and what do you do? Um, well, like I said, it's a three phase competition and we have basically, it's a, a three-phase versatility challenge and the first phase is really like equitation or horsemanship so that this kind of like a rail class um the second phase is an obstacle course where okay. which is like a trail a trail class you know there's a the typical and there's a or yeah uh-huh. okay. yeah not 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 a lot of that extreme stuff uh, okay all right just <laughs> Because no, most people really don't want to do that, I think. Yeah, but, the um, chicken in the mailbox but, and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the third phase of it, which is really, really, people really like, is what we call the freestyle. And basically that's what it is, is we tell them, you know, you can do whatever you want with your horse. And, you know, you can set it to music. And we've had, oh, we've had people do raining pattern set to the bonanza theme that was a 75 year old woman that did that and we've had people literally one lady she did a the music was the the theme to the pink panther and she did all she had somebody in a pink panther costume that she was following it around on the horse and she'd get off and, and we've had people come out and do comedy routines with horses with their umbrellas and oh, yeah. doing things. So how things, do you weight so. this? How do you weight the points? Is like there more weight on the freelance? They're, they're, well, they're, freestyle. they're judged on one to 10. Is this just kind of, kind of, kind of like a dressage. Test, okay. <laughs> one or 10 points and the, and the high point at the end of the, of the second day with the third phase is, is, is the, the seasoned rider versatility challenge champion. So Jeez, nice. that's, uh, that's yeah. really fun. So the associations, do they kind of get together and form a community too, in their own geographic? I, well, areas? well, yeah, that's what we're trying to trying to encourage them to do now because they've been kind of off on their own. And, and oh, we I kind see. of thought, well, you know, we could, kind of you know get a group of you in this area together maybe a group of you in that area and kind of start encouraging them to maybe you know getting together and you know going on a trail ride or just really I guess get more of FaceTime than Facebook too so that's Mm -hmm. kind of the goal for that get get, get out and get off the devices yeah yeah a little bit yeah Mm -hmm. so but 
but hoping that 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 will encourage encourage them to do that and we're going to try to I've been talking to some breed associations and things and asking them to add some seasoned rider classes to their shows because we have a certain amount of our our people who are still showing and they would they would like That's to great they idea. would like to do that we've these gypsy we have the gypsy and I'm sorry I can't remember there's so many of the gypsy horse associations can't remember which one it is I'm sorry but uh-huh. they a couple of years ago had added several season rider classes to to some of their shows and things and everybody yeah. that was real popular and we've had a, a great idea. I've had several conversations about that with different different so, different associations yeah, so I, I'm sure that people listening to this will want to get involved in some way. It just sounds so fun if you're seasoned. So what is what's the criteria? Yeah, you have to be over 40. That's okay. it. And I okay. always say to people, I don't care if you're 70 years old and you've had a horse for three days. You're still, it's, <laughs> it's not that you're seasoned in your horsemanship or your experience. It's your season of life. I see. Yeah, I assumed that too. I, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about gr- green riders or anything, but because most people aren't, you know, if they're gutsy enough to get out there at seventy-five and start riding, I'm for them. I love it. Yeah. Well, well, I've had a couple people come to clinics that that I got my horse when I was fifty-eight. The one woman said, and the other woman said, "Well, I've only I'm sixty-three and I've only had him for a year." So. <laughs> Awesome. That is just, uh, that's so encouraging, Cheryl. I appreciate yeah. that. So how do people find you? Or how do they get a hold of you? Um, they can go on our website. That, um, Which is? is just, um, it's just seasonedrider.com. And that's, okay. that's where they'll find the blog. Okay. Or they can so go on our Facebook as well. Okay. And that is Seasoned Writer Magazine. Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Because I, I have so. that. I have the seasoned okay. writer, and it's singular writer, not writers. Yeah. Yep. So seasoned yep. writer magazine or seasonedwriter.com, Correct. Yep. That's okay. That's the two best places. Okay. So. Well, thank you very much, Cheryl Childs. Thank you so much for taking out. Well, I know you. you have a busy schedule. It was hard in, to nail you down. So I'm really <laughs> glad we could we could get 20 minutes well, or so. I'm, to ch- I'm I'm glad to do it too. So. Thank you very We'll have you back. Okay. Well, that, that'd be great. So like I said, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths, waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to Cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. Juliet Getty. PhD, is an independent equine nutritionist with a wide U.S. and international following, too. Her research-based approach optimizes equine health by aligning physiology and instincts with correct feeding and nutrition practices. 
Dr. Getty's goal is to empower the horse person with the knowledge to provide the best nutrition for his or her horse's needs. Dr. Getty is the author of the comprehensive resource, Feed Your Horse Like a Horse, as well as the seven-topic centered spotlight on equine nutrition series of booklets. She's also offered an informative e-newsletter called Forage for Thought. Her website GettyEquineNutrition.com provides a world of information for the horse person. Well, welcome, Juliet Getty, PhD. I'm so glad to have you back. Well, it is a real pleasure for me too, Debbie. Thank you for having me. Yeah, the last time we interviewed, and it's so good to have you back on again. We got some nice feedback, which was good, and and I stood corrected. I'm, you know, I made this leap somehow that I assumed you were a, a veterinarian, but you're not. Tell us about your credentials. Well, um, my master's degree and my doctorate are both in equine or animal nutrition um, more generally and equine nutrition more specifically. And so I have um, many, many hours of study in that field. Veterinarians generally don't receive any nutrition courses while they're in school unless they choose to take an elective or two. Mm -hmm. Many veterinarians do go on after they graduate to study nutrition, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just depends on on the professional, really. Right. Yeah. And so we do have a lot of veterinarians on here, but I suppose they're a little bit like I remember when I was raising my kids and they didn't come with manuals and you, yeah. go, you go to the doctor or <laughs> mine didn't anyway. Uh, they, they should be issued with microwaves though. I, I did figure that one out real oh. quick. But, <laughs> but I, um, you know, I was immediately asking the doctor about nutrition and all those things that you want to do well. And, and I learned that my doctor, who was a little older at that point anyway, uh, maybe it's a little more progressive now, but he, he really didn't know too much about vitamins. He, in fact, he sort of poo-pooed them. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 um, it's becoming less so. A lot of physicians are starting to go into more integrative medicine mm-hmm. where they do integrate non-drug-related treatments. So it's true with the veterinary world as well. Is it? Good. Well, that's, yeah. that's good. We should progress. And you're very progressive. And um, you know, I'll mention right up front that people should get on your bi-monthly newsletter. I love it. Forage for Thought. It's free of, uh, free of any charge. And mm-hmm. um, I love your little description of it. It says, filled with morsels of information to help meet your horse's nutritional needs. And it is. And, and I love your, you. your mission and, and your stated goals of, of really helping the, the horse owner, whether that's a, you know, a big one or a little one, um, biggest equestrian centers or little ones, individual owners, to feed your horse like a horse. And that's uh, some of the writings that you've done. And, yes, thank you. Well, thank you. And I'm going to give, at the end of this, I'm, I'm going to give a way for people to get a hold of you and, and ask you more. But mm-hmm. you're part of the Getty Equine Nutrition LLC and a big part. <laughs> and <laughs> you and I were talking about um, through email the other day about uh-huh. doing this and, and what we wanted to talk about. And I love this statement that you made. I'm going to lift it right out of your email. It said, okay. my whole approach, the foundation of my work is to create ways that allow horses to eat the way they would in a natural setting. For many owners, this is a long-reaching goal, but I always look for ways, even small changes, to help the horse be who he is meant to be, a horse. Yes. (laughs) Sounds simple, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds simple. (laughs) How do you help us do that, Julia? Well, the goal is to try to strive toward an ideal, 
And the ideal would be to allow a horse to basically have three things. First of all, a steady flow of forage, whether it be pasture or hay or a combination of both, that goes through the digestive tract at all times so that hay or pasture is available to the horse 24-7. That means all day and all night. That doesn't mean the horse is going to eat all day and all night. Mm. But when they have access to it, they remarkably take a lot of breaks. And so that's the first thing. And then, of course, the other two things are companionship, which is essential for the horse's survival, and uh, the ability and the space to move around. So those three things are the ideal. And then I look at the horse owner's individual circumstances, and we do what we can, maybe make some modifications to reach as close to that ideal as possible. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, that should cover a lot of people going, how do I do that? Um, because that is the gamut, isn't it? Those um, those different situations that people find themselves in. It, it does. Generally, I encounter two types of situations. One where the horse is living in the owner's backyard. Um, and so the horse owner has complete control. And the other situation is where the horse is, is in a boarded situation And the control is limited in many cases, Mm -hmm. and that can be very frustrating for many horse owners. Mm -hmm. So we try to work with both of those circumstances. Mm -hmm. You mean that um, they're fed on a routine? You you know, if you're working off-site someplace, you can't run over there at lunchtime to make sure they've got some supplement going or that kind of control. Well, that you have to rely on others to take care of the horse Mm -hmm. the way you want them to. You may want to feed forage twenty-four-seven and the barn manager will not permit it, or you want to supply a certain supplement that requires, maybe it's a liquid and it's not possible for the people that feed to administer a certain type of supplement. So sometimes when you don't do it yourself, then it becomes, it could become, not always, but it could become problematic for the mm-hmm. horse owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So you, you're going to give tips, you know, your, your life's goal is to give tips yes. to always progressively get better with that um, by creating yeah. yeah, the environment. One of the things that I want to approach in this conversation is how behavior is affected because ultimately us owners really love horses, not because we love to feed them or figure out how to supplement them or figure out how to get around the equestrian center, but but because yeah. we enjoy our horses. And behavior issues often kind of are a gap with that um, enjoyment. And I I think, you know, a lot of us are willing to blame ourselves first for the behavior issues, whether it be training issues or or, um, health issues. And so I thought I'd explore with you today a little bit, if you're willing to Uh uh, tell us how behavior can be affected by nutrition or about the way we feed our horses or the environment, we put them in that way, something that we can control? Well, behavior um, is the result of the way the horse is fed and treated. And so if a horse, for example, does not have access to forage at all times, this is particularly stressful because it goes against the instincts of the horse. The instinctual behavior of the horse is to be able to graze and to look for that next delicious morsel at all times. 
But if we confine the horse with nothing to eat, we cannot possibly expect the horse to behave the way he normally would. In fact, in my, my comprehensive reference, Feed Your Horse Like a Horse, I have an area in there where I call it the Getty Challenge. And what it basically is, is to give, give me a few weeks of doing it my way. In other words, give the horse an appropriate forage 24-7 and watch what happens. The horse no longer becomes anxious. When you greet your horse in the morning, he's happy to see you, and he's not pawing or kicking or whinnying or pacing. He just basically says, great, nice to see you. Oh, you have hay? That's good. Put it in the corner. I'll, I'll get to it later. They just don't care anymore. They calm down, and they start to become more open to learning, to training. I oftentimes hear my horse is lazy or doesn't have a good work ethic. That's not true. Horses have a wonderful work ethic if their basic needs are met. Because if their stomachs are empty, they're more than just stressed. They are in physical pain. The horse's stomach releases acid 24-7 and Unlike our own stomachs that stop producing acid when we stop eating, we also have a mucus layer in our stomachs that protects our, protects our stomach against acid uh, eroding the lining of the stomach. Horses do not have a mucus layer throughout the entire stomach. So if there's acid in the stomach and there's nothing to eat, that acid can erode the upper portion of the stomach and lead to ulcers. Mm -hmm. So... These things, if you're in pain, you don't feel well. If your feet hurt, I don't care how, how much you try to put a smile on your face. Mm -hmm. So, and if you're just, in, and, I'm, and I'm not saying feet specifically, but I'm just saying if you're in pain, it's yeah. going to affect your behavior. Well, I think you're describing the fact that horses are so generous, and we all know they're generous, and we all don't feel generous when we're not feeling well. So um, I think we can yes. relate to that of having a stomach ache or having some sort of health issue and just not feeling punk and not wanting to go out to lunch with the ladies, right? Absolutely. And so the more that we can do to respect and honor the horse's instinctual need to live and eat like he was meant to, um, the more that he is going to be uh, vibrant and energetic and joyful yeah. horses i don't think people realize that that horses are really emotional animals and they can suffer from depression and they can experience joy and happiness we've all seen this when horses are let loose on a nice crisp mm -hmm. cold day and they run and they buck and they play and this is this is um um, the way that horses show that they're happy. Mm -hmm. And so when they don't have their needs met, they don't do well on many levels. That's right. That's right. And we do want to help that. So just to kind of put a cap on that one, slow feeders, what do we do oh, to let them mm -hmm. forage? Yeah. Well, slow feeders are intended to slow down the rate at which the horse eats. So, okay, that sounds okay on the surface, but you have to examine why is the horse eating so quickly? So if the horse is eating very quickly, it's because, um, well, one of two reasons. One, he may be leptin resistance, which is a perhaps a subject for another day, having to do with a horse being insulin resistant, overweight, and that can lead to a, a resistance to a hormone that basically tells the horse's brain 
um, I'm supposed to stop eating, but he's not listening to it. So that's one reason. The other reason, and perhaps the most common reason, is that the horse feels that I need to go into survival mode. So he is aware that forage is scarce. And so when he does have it, he eats what he has very, very quickly. And so the best way to cure that, again, is to allow the horse to get the message that the hay or pasture is always going to be there. And so when that happens, he'll self-regulate and he'll slow down and then um, he'll eat only what his body needs. Mm -hmm. So getting back to the slow feeder, the slow feeder is really mm, not the cure of anything. It's a what I, th I consider it a tool to help transition a horse gotcha. toward eating uh, hay that's loose and not in a slow feeder. Really good. Okay, that's a great point. That is a great mm -hmm. point that it's a chicken and the egg thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. what about what we call easy keepers? Well, easy keepers are horses that um, uh, tend to gain weight easily. And I have a lot of clients that have overweight horses. And when I tell them that they need to feed um, forage or hay free choice, they cringe with yeah. fear. I mean, you know, and I can understand that. It can be scary. And if the horse is eating all that he wants, then he's going to get even heavier, right? It seems like. <laughs> so, um, so the key is to make sure that the hay, of course, is appropriate. And the only way to do that really is to analyze it. It needs to be low in sugar and starch so that insulin doesn't rise dramatically because when insulin rises, it, cause, it causes the horse to store fat. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be low in sugar and starch, and it also needs to be low in calories. A lot of people neglect that particular parameter because <clears throat> if he's eating all he wants of chocolate cake, that's not a good thing. <laughs> if he's eating salad all he wants, then sure, that's a great thing. Okay. So it needs to be low enough in calories so it doesn't um, you know, contribute to further weight gain. Yeah. But... The, the message that the horse gets once he knows it's always there is that his hormonal response slows down. You see, when hay is restricted, his stress response tells his body to uh, elevate insulin and elevate fat storage. But when we get rid of that stress response, then the horse will eat only what he needs and he will start to self-regulate and he will start to lose weight. Mm -hmm. This can take, it can take patience is what it can take. Mm -hmm. It can take uh, a few weeks in some cases, depending on how damaged the horse is. It can take a few months. Sometimes it can take a year or more. Wow. But the goal is to get the horse healthy. And if the horse has been living, say, the first 10 years of his life suffering, from forage restriction, it's not going to happen overnight. But why make it worse? Right. Let's make it better. That's right. my approach. Right. Start somewhere. So stress in general affects the overall health um, in a lot of ways. It does. Um, uh, one thing that I like to help people visualize is if you, if you think about a horse during the winter in a wild setting, during the winter, um, grasses and you know edibles are are scarce mm -hmm. so the horse instinctual instinctively knows this and so his body responds 
by naturally becoming insulin resistant. In other words, the insulin will rise in his bloodstream and his cells will not respond to it as well. And what that does in a natural setting is it allows the horse to store body fat to protect him during the, sc- the scarce winter, in, or- in other words, to survive. Mm-hmm. So we are duplicating that in a domesticated situation by when we restrict forage, what are we telling the horse? We're saying to him, uh-oh, mm-hmm. winter is coming. I better become more insulin resistant and I better hold on to fat. That's what we are artificially inducing when we restrict forage. And so this response is a stress-related response is so damaging because when insulin is high for a long period of time, Mm -hmm. it is highly inflammatory. And inflammation can affect the brain, which affects the response to leptin, which then tells the bo- the horse to eat and eat and eat if he's resistant. So it's such a vicious cycle. So my, my goal is to break it. Yeah. It takes time, it takes patience, and it takes a willingness to trust the system. Yeah. So I'm going to celebrate that. It sounds funny, but what you just said was a mouthful about the amazing animal that a horse is yes that that its system regulates things so well it wants to be right for the horse and then it literally does those seasonal changes based on what's available so let's celebrate that they actually have a body that can account for um, seasons and scarcity and plentiful and and all those things because sometimes I feel like the horse is really delicate. You know, we're always, <laughs> right? It's like it has an Achilles heel all over its body. But no, it, it, it does seem like we can really mess up. And I think as owners, sometimes we get a little crazy making about being more careful that they, we're not going to colic and we're not going to founder and we're not going to, you know, and, and right. weight gains and losses and everything. But you're saying that really the, the horse, if we can get a more natural environment, can self-regulate, its system self-regulates under a natural diet. Well, the horses, I mean, the proof is in the observation of horses living for literally millions yes. of years. True. And in the wild, they don't get laminitis and they don't colic unless they've eaten some foreign material or something. Yeah. But generally speaking, colic, ulcers, and laminitis are man-made or woman-made problems. We are harming our horses in our effort to protect them. Mm -hmm. And when left to their own devices, they really, really know how to do it. Oh, poops. Look at that. Right back at us. Okay. So (laughs) so one of the, okay, so I think we're going to, you know, think harder about all those um, helpful hints that you gave us too about forage and everything. And, And let's expand a little bit about that inflammatory comment yes. that you made. Not a, you not an inflammatory that. comment, but the comment <laughs> about the inflammatory part. Right. Because, yeah, I just recently wrote an article on, um, it, it, not a nutrition article at all. It was a behavior article and about how I was able to observe horses unsupplemented living on land in Colorado that are, uh-huh. and, and these horses are worked hard every day yeah. on cattle. Mm-hmm on cattle, on bison even, and some crazy things like that. But they are not only healthy and in great shape, 
but they seem happy and not cranky at all. And so all those things that you described, I got to observe just recently in horses that I know were not supplemented anymore. I even asked, are you sure you don't seed out here in this pasture or anything, you know? And they they look at me like, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> you know? But, but the, the thing that I wanted to dig into was these uh, omegas because yes. everything, so, so um, full disclosure, you know, my sponsors, um, Omega Fields, um, but that's been a sure. learning curve for me uh, Sean Moriarty, um, Ali Cole have, I'm always asking questions, you know, I love to learn about their, because they've been able to patent, stabilize, um, flaxseed right. oils and things. And I know it's rich in omegas and I, and, um, there's a local vet here too, who said, uh, made a comment one time that's stuck in my brain. I can hear the voices, uh, that, an- that horses are, um, omega three animals. The horses mm-hmm. and omega three animals. What he said. Sure. And I went. Tell me about that. You know, but <laughs> sure. right. And um, but he said that the modern diet is really high in omega sixes. Yes, and, it is. And the omega threes are anti-inflammatory, and the omega sixes are pro-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's about as technical as I get. But <laughs> <laughs> but tell us a little bit more from your you know from the learned perspective what that does to the horse's body. Sure. Well, you brought up how pasture grazing horses don't need supplementation. And that's because a fresh, living, healthy pasture is really the best whole food out there. I mean, this, it's just rich in nutrients when it's growing. I mean, once we start at this time of year, it starts <laughs> to slow down. It's not as nutritious. But the one of the main reasons, and you brought up the, the fatty acids, is that pasture, if you analyze it, it has, in terms of its fatty acid content, it has about four times more omega-3s than sixes. Mm-hmm. Now, the horse needs both. Um, there are two fatty acids that the horse needs because he cannot produce them on his own. And these are called essential fatty acids. Uh, the first one, the omega-3, is known as alpha-linolenic acid, or ALA for short. Mm-hmm. And then the omega-6 is called linoleic acid. And so we want them to be in balance with each other, preferably more omega-3s and omega-6s to duplicate what a horse would get in a natural setting. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the common commercial diet that horses consume typically contain a lot of fat from soybean oil. And soybean oil is very, very high in linoleic acid, which is an omega-6. And so when you have an abundance of omega-6 and not a lot enough omega-3s, that results in inflammation. And inflammation can occur anywhere in the body. It can affect the joints. It can uh, affect the feet. It can affect the digestive system. It certainly can affect the brain, leading to the leptin resistance we talked about, leading to premature Cushing's disease. Um, it It can damage just about any part of the body. So the best thing to do is to make sure that the horse is getting enough omega-3s and some Mm omega-6s. We have to do this through supplementation because, like I said, the horse cannot produce these essential fatty acids. And hay is really quite miserable nutritionally. It Mm -hmm. doesn't contain any essential fatty acids when the, when the grass is, you know, originally cut, it does, but Mm -hmm. then once it's dried and stored, it just loses them within three to maybe four months. It's everything is gone. Mm -hmm. 
So we need to add a supplement. Okay. So, yeah, so all horse owners out there who aren't living in Colorado off a plane somewhere, (laughs) that's most of us, um, you're going to need to supplement those omega-3s. And I know some people will grind daily those flaxseed oils, flaxseeds, but, um, you know. Not the best plan. Not the best plan, yeah. And and it goes rancid so fast and everybody knows that stuff too. So, yeah. So I push for um, supplementation on that because... It just seems like we've had an increase in arthritis and we've had an increase in yes. um, just all those bad things that I don't remember so much as a kid anymore. Um, maybe I was, you know, um, a, a little naive, but I don't think so. I think we have a rise yeah. in these things. What do you think? Well, I think that <clears throat> horse owners years ago used to not, people would not have a horse unless they had land to put the horse on. Yeah. And so now anybody can own a horse, even if you live in New York City. And I have a few clients that live in New York City. So, <laughs> so you know. uh, and I know that they don't keep it on their patio. So the yeah. uh, <laughs> so the thing is, is that we have we have evolved into um, um, a horse um, situation, a horse ownership situation where horses are typically fed forage uh, hay as their source of forage. Mm-hmm. And since hay is so miserably nutritionally, not only is it missing essential fatty acids, but it's also missing um, some very important uh, antioxidants and vitamins such as vitamin C and E and D and um, beta carotene, which is converted to vitamin A. Mm -hmm. So supplementation really is the only way to go. Um, And flax is um, very The nice thing about flax is it's high in omega-3s and it it uh, mimics the proportion that's found in fresh living grasses, yeah. kind of a four to one. Um, but grinding it yourself is um, very time consuming and um, you really don't save all that much money mm-hmm. that, rather than getting a stabilized uh, commercial product. Um, it does go rancid almost immediately when you grind it yourself because oxygen gets into the pulp of the of the seed and it oxidizes or damages those fatty acids and so what you're ending up feeding your horse is free radicals which are volatile damaging molecules that can go on a a damaging rampage throughout the body and um, cause a lot of health issues Uh, so flax is a good source and um, chia seeds are also a very nice source some people enjoy feeding chia it has some advantages on the digestion Um, but one thing I think folks should realize is that if you have a horse that has an inflammation problem and you want to add Mm omega-3s I think it might be worth considering adding a product that is high in DHA Mm. Um, can I elaborate a little bit on that? Sure, I'd love to Um, the the omega-3 found in flax and in chia is again that ALA, that alpha linolenic acid and when it gets into the body it is converted to um, another omega-3, which is much larger, and it's called DHA. It's actually found in fish oil. Um, so DHA is what reduces the inflammation. Um, omega-3's ALA does, but indirectly. It it reduces inflammation okay. by be, being converted to DHA. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that conversion is not very good. It's only about 20%. Mm-hmm. So if you could feed DHA directly, you would have a greater impact on reducing inflammation than if you just fed 
ALA. So this is not for all horses. I'm just talking about a horse that has a particular problem. Like when I'm working with a horse that's insulin resistant and easy keeper and leptin resistant and won't stop eating, I'll always reach for the DHA instead of the flax. Okay. Well, that's good to know too. So if, if your horse is manifesting, get a hold of Juliet. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I'm not sure I got all those initials right, but, <laughs> but but it's good to know there's answers out there. And it's so good to know, Juliet, that you're you're out there for us. You're swinging for us and the horses too and keeping the environment right for them. How do people get a hold of you? Do uh, you have a website? I do. It's um, my company name, GettyEquineNutrition.com. And you can sign up for my newsletter and you can email me from there as well. Great. Thank you for that. And it's uh, gettyequinenutrition.com. And uh, we would, we'd love to have you back. I, you know, keep writing, keep producing. I, I'm just Thank fascinated you. by your brain and how you, you're working to help us. So, um, and where are you located in the country? Well, I'm in, I'm in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area okay. in Texas. Okay. But you do so, a lot of work. But I work your... with folks all over the country and even internationally. Wow. I do um, uh, specific customized feeding plans for people over the phone. And so I, I do uh, phone consultations, basically. And there's information about that on my website where I can help do the specifics that my articles and book may not provide to that particular situation. Okay. Do you ever get out to California? I do occasionally. <laughs> We have to get. We'll have to get together, and uh, it's a beautiful state. I love it there. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, no, I would love to have you out sometime and have you go through our our barn and you know and tell us what oh, we're what, a what we can improve. Oh, yeah, and, and we can go, maybe to go to the Getty Museum. Do you have any relatives there? Oh. <laughs> Wouldn't that no, be good? I do not. <laughs> Different well, kind maybe, of oil. Maybe maybe years ago, and nobody's nobody's volunteering. That I think you should research this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's good to have you back on again, and uh, I yes. appreciate appreciate all the uh, compliments that we've had on your uh, episodes, and and I hope you'll keep coming back. Oh, you know I will. This is a real joy. Thank you so much, Debbie. Terrific. Thank you. Thanks, Juliet. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place and learn the magic in the language of the herd. Dear Monty, The vast majority of horse people will use a whip or a stick at some point, mounted or dismounted. Where is the threshold for what you would consider to be cruel use? Is there a hard line or a blurry line in your opinion for what is abuse? Monty's answer. It is not my intention to address the fine line between attempting to improve performance and or being cruel. It is my opinion that any time you deliberately strike a horse with the intention to cause pain, it enters the category of cruelty. In addition to being cruel, it will eventually be proven to be a mistake when it comes to improving performance. One of my middle-of-the-night thoughts is that it's actually fun to think of ways to cause the horse to accomplish a goal you contemplate without the production of pain. A good education will set your mind to work producing procedures which will accomplish this goal and then allows one to cause the horse to want to do it instead of forcing the horse. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, 
Go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, February 1 to 3 in the introductory course, Module 1. This is a brand new three-day course for us. And then February 8 through 10 is the introductory course, Module 2. It's all part of an introductory course. We're breaking it down into three threesomes. And I think Monty will be teaching these. So it's going to be fun because it's a first time out. Then we have February 11 to 13, we have the longlining course. And then February 15 to 17, we have an equine facility management clinic. That's with CHA, the Certified Horsemanship Association. And that's the President's Day weekend, 15 through 17. Then February 19 to 21, we have a join-up course at the school. And then February 22 to 24, we have an introductory course, Module 3. There's the third part of our foursome. And then February 20 to 24, Monty will be in Norway. So he's going to be there for the Norwegian Horse Festival. I was just talking to Runa Haugen this morning. It's going to be really cool. March 1 through 3 is the prep for introductory exams. That's our fourth part of the four-part module. And then March 4 to 6, we have a join-up course. March 7 to 9, we have a long-lining course. And March 9 to 17, Monty will be over back in Essen, Germany at the Equitana, the largest uh, trade show, horse uh, horse show on earth. And then April 29 and 30, near and dear to my heart, is the movement at Flag is Up Farms in Solvang, California. And if you did not commit all of that to memory, that was a lot. You can find it all (laughs) and so much more online at MontyRoberts.com. Or you can call the good folks at Flag is Up Farms at 805-688-6288. Eight. They're happy to help you out. And for details about today's show, go to horsemanshipradio.com where you'll find links, photos, and more information about our guests. You're going to look for episode 127. That means there are 127 other episodes in there. And as always, we love your feedback. It helps us make the show better. If you have ideas about topics we should talk about, people we should interview, or more specifically, Debbie should interview, put them on the Facebook page. Go to Facebook, type in Monty Roberts, and click on like and follow the one with a little blue check mark next to it. That's the official page. And you can also follow Monty on Twitter. If you're a Twitter follower, his handle is Monty underscore Roberts, or on Instagram, it is also Monty underscore Roberts. And go get the app. Help your friends get the app if they're not so technologically advanced as you are. It's available for Android and iPhones. Go to your mm-hmm. app store and search Horse Radio Network. Click the button to download it. It's free and easy to use. You can also listen to all of our shows on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. 
That's right. And many thanks to our sponsors, too. We wouldn't be even here without them. It's Omega Fields. It's Monty Roberts University and Cavallo Horse and Rider. Yeah. And be sure to visit the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network, too. That growing network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours.